Let us pray. Loving God, in the scriptures you give us stories, and in these stories we find ourselves. Breathe your spirit on these ancient words and open to us the good news you long for us to receive. Amen. The Gospel reading is from John 6, 1-14. After this, Jesus went to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, also called the Sea of Tiberias. A large crowd kept following him because they saw the signs that he was doing for the sick. Jesus went up the mountain and sat down there with his disciples. Now the Passover, the festival of the Jews, was near. When he looked up and saw a large crowd coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, where are we to buy bread for these people to eat? He said this to test him, for he knew what he was going to do. Philip answered him, 200 denarii would not buy enough bread for each of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they among so many people? Jesus said, make the people sit down. Now there was a great deal of grass in the place, so they sat down, about 5,000 in all. Then Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated, so also the fish, as much as they wanted. When they were satisfied, he told his disciples, gather up the fragments left over so that nothing may be lost. So he gathered them up, and from the fragments of the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten, they filled 12 baskets. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they began to say, this is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. I have something to share with you. I like food. I really like food. I even enjoy reading recipes. And years ago, I was an avid listener to a talk show called The Splendid Table. The host, Lynn Rosetto Casper, um, talked all about food. She talked about recipes. She discovered restaurants across the country. And every once in a while on her talk show, at the end of the show, she'd have a game called Stump the Cook. And here's how it went. Callers would phone in and they would tell Lynn five ingredients that they had in their refrigerator. And then it was Lynn's job to creatively think up a recipe using those five ingredients. Through the years, people have called in with some bizarre things. For example, one person called in and said, I have an energy drink, firm tofu, apple butter, smoked trout, and jalapenos. Another person called in saying, Lynn, I have cabbage and sweet potatoes, pomegranates, bacon, and jello. The rules were that she had to use every single one of the five ingredients in the same dish. And the talk show person that had called in, the caller had to say whether or not they would actually eat it. Now I know what might be happening for some of you. You're either wondering what you yourself would make with those random ingredients, or you might be thinking about what items are in your own refrigerator. 
It is a silly but fun game for foodies as we hear the show's host scramble to create something from what she's given. You know, that sort of creativity and resourcefulness reminds me of this morning's scripture lesson. Show me what you've got, Jesus seems to say, and I'll show you what I can do with it. There are a few things offered up and it becomes something significant. It doesn't look like much to start with, but it becomes more than enough. In this story, we find Jesus being followed by a large crowd of people. They are taken with his teaching and his signs of healing. In fact, just before this scene, Jesus has performed another miraculous healing. And so the people are following him. And when Jesus gets to his place upon a large hill, he looks out before him and sees all the crowd of people seated before him. Jesus turns to one of his disciples and said, how are we gonna feed all these people? And I imagine Jesus asking the question with a twinkle in his eye because he already knows how this is gonna turn out, but the disciples don't. Jesus can already see it. He can already picture the people with full satisfied bellies, but the disciples, they can't see it yet. They instead see what isn't. They see what isn't enough, not enough money, not enough food. But Jesus, Jesus receives a boy's lunch of bread and fish, and it becomes enough to feed everyone. Friends, this story is our story. And I wonder where today you might find yourself in this story. Maybe you're like Jesus or the child who offers up his lunch. Maybe you're one of the masses following Jesus and now sitting before him on the grass. I confess, I confess that I'm hanging with the disciples. I'm in the there's not enough crowd. Other tellings of this story in other gospels paint the disciples in perhaps even harsher light as they tell Jesus to send away the hungry people. Now there's a lot of talk. There's a lot of talk these days about scarcity and scarcity culture because people most everywhere are convinced that there is not enough of any number of things. I prepare dinner for everyone who is RSVP'd, but a few decide to show up unannounced and I'm left annoyed and wondering if there's gonna be enough food. I can't possibly take a day off because there is too much to do. There's just not enough time. Lord, give me an eighth day in the week. I love my own child so much. I give myself to her fully. And I know that there are children in need in the community, but I can't be bothered. After all, there's only so much of me to go around, right? And then, and then we hear people in places of power underscoring scarcity as a way to promote their political agenda. Sure, the Statue of Liberty might say, bring to me your tired masses, but today is another reality and there simply is not enough work for everyone who's already here. Sure, student loans are real, but we don't have enough resources to help everyone. And climate change, yeah, climate change might be serious, 
but we can't possibly work on that now with everything else going on. There's just not enough energy, not enough resources, not enough work, not enough food, not enough love. Wrong. Even churches can fall into worrying that there isn't enough. Most certainly pastors can. There's not enough money. There's not enough people who are willing to serve on committees. There aren't enough volunteers. Again, eh, wrong. There is enough. <laughs> Consultant Gil Rendell taught me the default position of believing that if God is calling you to something, then God has already given you everything you need to do to carry out that call from God. Now hear this. God has not given us everything we need to do church like it looked like in 1950 or 1980 for that matter. But if, if we discern what we are truly called to be about in this current moment, in this current season, then God has already given us all the right people and all the right resources to carry out God's will. The gift, you see the gift of enough comes when we trust that we already have what we need. The gift of enough comes when we offer up who we are and what we can to God. The gift of enough comes most of all because it is Jesus who receives all of who we are and our offering. I remember graduating from seminary and moving to my very first appointment in a small country town in Gonzales County. I had loans from graduate school and I was on what's called minimum compensation, the lowest dollar amount for pastors in our conference. I remember at that time it was $28,000, I remember that. And that dollar figure says more about my age than about the minimum salary figure. I looked at my finances and I knew I needed to give to the church. After all, I was the pastor. I needed to move towards tithing, the biblical standard of giving one-tenth to God. That's what I was taught. Again, I was the pastor, I was the leader, I was supposed to set an example. One-tenth to God would rightly go to the church, but it felt like a stretch, more than a stretch. There's not enough, I thought to myself. But those of you, those of you who have been practicing tithing know how this works. I wrote my check to the church at the first of each month and somehow I had enough for everything else during the month, including my student loan check. I no longer write a check to the church. I do that automatic draft thing, but I still tithe because that's a practice that Paul, my husband and I are committed to. As student loans had been paid off years ago, and as our income has increased, we're able to grow and stretch in our giving to the church, as well as to other charities that we feel passionate about, like Justice for Our Neighbors and an Autism Society connected to one of my sisters-in-law. We also give to other things like public radio and not just for that splendid table talk show. Most of you know, most of you know what it feels like to give. It makes us feel good. 
And I know that many of you continue to be incredibly generous as you've practiced tithing or even have been able to move beyond tithing. Some others of you are growing still in your giving or maybe you're just now considering what it looks like to take your first steps in financial giving. Here are some things, some important truths that I want you to know as you consider your giving. First, no matter what you give or don't give, I will be your pastor. Your clergy team here at University UMC does not, for example, make hospital visits based on whether people give or not. Another truth, we won't all be in the same place when it comes to giving. We are different people. We have different realities and circumstances. We have varying degrees of financial stability. We are in different places on our giving journey. Saying we need, this is just an example, saying we need $100,000 and we have 100 people, and if every 100 people just gave $1,000, then we'd have the $100,000. Friends, that might be good math, but it is poor theology because the reality is some of us will be called to give more and others less. Here's another truth. If you feel like your giving is small, I'd remind you what Jesus was able to do with a child's sack lunch. We can't let ourselves off the hook by thinking that our small amount won't make much difference, so why give it at all? That's scarcity thinking. Instead, we are called to believe that God's abundance, that in God's abundance, our offering becomes enough. Here's the little we have. And it actually doesn't become enough. When it is offered up to God, it becomes more than enough. The gospel lesson today says there were 12 baskets of leftovers. It's an interesting thing to note that this is the only miracle that shows up in all four gospels. Maybe that's because God knew how much we would need this lesson, that there is enough food, that there is enough time, that there is enough love to give, there's enough money if we all do our part, if we all share. You know well, you know well the key ministry here at University UMC, Open Door, a Saturday morning outreach to our guests experiencing homelessness. Well, a great story from there, and I got the permission to share it with you. Emily Seals is our open door board chair. And weeks ago at a futures committee meeting, we have a futures subcommittee meeting that um, thinks about and prays about the future of this ministry. Well, at this futures committee meeting, it was mentioned that not often, but occasionally from time to time, we have a need for pet supplies during the Saturday morning meal. Um, again, it doesn't happen every Saturday, but every once in a while, somebody will show up with their dog and there is a need for a leash or a water bottle or a water dish or dog food. Well, Emily ended up sharing this need at home and her children overheard. Her sons, Emmett, said, hey, we can help. We can give some of our allowance money to buy dog food. How about that? Isn't that amazing? And not only that, the word spread and another committee member's son 
hears about this, and he is also offering up allowance money. You see, friends, just like in John's Gospel, it is often the children who show us the way when it comes to giving, when it comes to believing that our little can make a difference. Here's the moral of the story. And it is not for you to bring us pet supplies to the church. <laughs> Believe me, we are good, we're in good shape, and we will let you know when we need those supplies. Right now, parenthetically, right now, what we need are men's jeans, not pet supplies. That's not the moral of the story. Here's the moral of the story. We are called to offer up what we can. When Jesus took the boy's lunch, a miracle took place. And as I see this scene in my mind's eye, the miracle is not so much that one loaf of bread supernaturally became a hundred. Rather, I imagine that when the child gave his sack lunch to Jesus, it inspired everyone else in the crowd to do the same, skeptical disciples included. They looked into their sack lunches, they opened their coolers, they emptied their pockets to see what they had, they contributed what they could. The miracle for me has always been in the numbers of people who were moved to follow in the boy's example. I'm not sure today I'm not sure what you have in your hands and in your heart and in your wallet or what five ingredients you have in your refrigerator. But I do know that you and your gift by God's grace is more than enough. Thanks be to God.